can do while he's sleepwalking. <laughs> Jet lag. Love you, man. Glad you're here. Open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 12, verse 9. We're going through the book of Romans, verse by verse. The series is called Nail It Down, and the sermon today is called Faith Ignited. Question for you. Hey, is your faith on fire? Would you say that when you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and coming to church and going to small group, that you're on fire? Would you say that you're, uh, you're really fired up about faith, about truth, about Christ? Uh, is, is that where you are? Because God wants you to be fired up. He wants you to be fired up that you're part of something eternal, that you're a member of his family, that he's doing things in you uh, that are unbelievable and irreversible. God wants you to be fired up. When I think about being fired up, I'll never forget seeing a, a circus act, right? It's sad that the circus is kind of going away, but there was, there was this circus act called the Human Torch. And the way it worked was, I don't know how you get into this field of work, but this guy gets into a flame-proof suit. They set him on fire. Now that alone, I'm out. I don't know about you, but I'm out, right? And then they put him on this giant like crossbow and shoot him through the sky while he's on fire. Check it out. I've got video of this. There, it goes. there he is, the human torch. Now he's flying through the air. How many of you would like to do that once in life? Anyone? No one, right? What an act. Now, imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine what it feels like to be literally set on fire, flying through the air, and then to create, you know, this, this great explosion. Um, well, here's the thing. God wants you to be fired up. He wants you to be ignited, your faith to be something that is visible and exciting. And He wants you not just to be, you know, like going through the motions. He really wants you to be fired up. So the question today is, how can my faith be ignited. And we'll learn four different things that the Bible shares about that from uh, Romans chapter 12. So I hope you're there. I hope you have your Bible. And let me pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Father, we do ask that you would fire us up. Help us to know what is true. Help us to know what is important and vital. And help us to know how we can go through our days, Lord. Sometimes the days just feel routine, monotonous, like one is the same as the next. And other times the days are, uh, Lord, chaotic and and other times they're just peaceful, but help us to know what it means to be fervent in spirit, to be filled with joy because of all that you're doing in us and through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we are in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, picking up where David Jones left off last week. David was a blessing, wasn't he? So he was, he was in charge of the training center when I was there, so every day I'd go in uh, for training. And in eight months, he was the guy sitting at the head of the table. And so it was a blessing to have him come and share the word uh, last week. So in verse 9, here's what it says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. These are marks of the Christian life. We're at the, the uh, section of the book of Romans where it, it talks about serving God. And we're learning about what it means to have God uh, living in you and, and using you in this life. We've been through many previous sections about salvation and sin and God's sovereignty. Um, and now we're talking about service. How can I know and serve a holy God? And these are the marks of being a person who knows God and who serves God well. Here's the first thing we see here. You can write this down in your bulletin notes. 
love with sincere affection. Love with sincere affection. It says in verse 9, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Um, Love is the supreme Christian virtue. And nothing warms up a church, nothing fires up a church like love. And nothing cools off a church like lack of love. When you come to church, if the people are loving toward each other and toward you, you feel the energy. And if there's a lack of love, if there's a lack of joy, you can feel it. They might not come up to you and say, hi, we're an unfriendly church. Have a seat somewhere in the back and don't talk to anybody. But you just sense it. You can just feel that there's just clicks or there's not much of an effort to actually make newer people feel welcome. Uh, Love with sincere affection. We want to be filled with zeal for the Lord, and that starts with love. Um, When it comes to the word here, when it says, let love be genuine, um, if you look in the the Greek, the word there is uh, anapokritos, uh, anapokritos, and what does that mean? Well, it means without hypocrisy. In fact, we, we get our word for hypocrite from this Greek family of words. When you say hypocrite, right, hypocrite, you, you think somebody who says one thing and does another. This word is drawn from the Greek stage, the, the actors, right? Uh, it, it would have been a character on the stage who comes up, and, and he's the one who kind of is, is uh, acting differently, right? So, so the idea is love has to be without acting. Love has to be without stagecraft. You really have to do it in a genuine manner. Here's a picture of somebody on stage, right? And, and you probably know what it feels like when someone is saying you're the best friend they've ever had in the whole wide world. And then behind the scenes, they're knifing you in the back. You maybe know what it's like when someone is just kind of going through the motions, right? And, and saying nice things to you at work, but it's not genuine. And let's be honest, you know in your own heart when you're kind of just going through the motions, right? With your kids or your spouse or your coworkers, like you're being polite, but there's really not like this burning desire to actually uh, make a great difference in their life today. You just kind of want to smile and say what is necessary. What does it mean to love with sincere affection? It means that you don't settle for fake love. Fake love is unacceptable in the church and in the world. God demands the real thing. The real thing is hard. The real thing is difficult. Uh, The real thing requires effort and endurance. And most of all, the real thing is going to invite pain because you're putting yourself in a vulnerable situation when you love people who could choose to not love you back. Um, But God wants us to love with sincere affection. Hey, look, if you want to be fired up, if you want your faith to really be fervent, it begins with love. Filling this church with love, filling your world with love, filling your home with love, that's where the fire starts. Love with sincere affection. So we're told here to love, that that's a do. We're, we're commanded to love, let love be genuine. Um, and have you made that a priority in your life? Do you actually take time to talk about what it means to pursue a stronger, better, deeper relationship with people around you? Even though you're busy, even though you know, you've got reasons not to, is it important to you with people in this room, in this church, 
Is it important to you with your extended family or, or even people who you work with? Do you say, you know what, I'm going to be loving, and that means I'm going to carve out some time, you know, and I'm going I'm to think of how to serve these other people and help them. How are you doing at prioritizing love? I think the basic components of, of love are pretty simple. You have to know the person. I mean, if you don't even know, you know your neighbor's names, it's hard to love them, so you've got to know. And then, and then you have to care, right? Like, okay, I know some things about you, and then I really am starting to feel affection for you, and then I'm finding ways to help you. You know, and then, and then you care, and then you help. That is the components of love. And so how are you doing in this church? Do you know people around you? Do you care about those people? And have you taken steps to help them? That's the definition of being loved. Loving is not just like, oh yeah, talk to them over coffee in the gym. Like, it's more than that, right? So assess how you're doing with prioritizing love. Let love be genuine. Getting into a small group is really the uh, fastest and best way to have loving relationships in the church because each week you're meeting together with a small group of people who know you, care about you, and help you. And if you feel like, you know, nobody in this church knows me or cares about me, well, maybe it's time to get into a small group because that's where we do those things, right? That's where you put yourself in a position to be known. Uh, and that's where you make friendships that could last for a long time. Now, it says here, let love be genuine. So we're commanded to love. And then, surprisingly, it says, abhor what is evil. Abhor means to hate. It's a very strong word. So we're commanded to love, and then we're commanded to hate. That's interesting. Uh, hate what is evil. How do those things go together? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, we'll put it up on the screen Here's what it says about love. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So when you love someone, that automatically means that you hate the sin that you find in their life. Uh, those two things go together. Loving someone means hate, <clears throat> hating any sin that is unrepentant in their life. Love doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. So, you know, if you're like, oh, I love you and everything you've ever done, and, you know, and, and you're more permissive, uh, with your children and you ever call them out on the, the things that they're doing or saying, then that's not true love, right? Love is willing to expose sin and, and correct it. That's what love is meant to be biblically. And the word here doesn't pull any punches. It means hate it because it's harmful to them, because it's offensive to God, because it's damaging to others. It is not loving to affirm sin in other people's lives. Now, I got to tell you, the world believes the exact opposite of what I'm teaching you right now. Uh, in the world today, the highest form of love is to just let other people be anyone they want to be, to let other people do anything they want to do. And if you dare to suggest that something they do or say or believe is a sin, my goodness, you are certainly no brother or friend to that person, and that is absolutely not loving. It's unloving and hateful. So know the world that we live in. in. In the world we live in, they will not define love the way the Bible defines love. Uh, but in the Bible, it says that love, if it's genuine, means that we will not stand for the sin in the lives of those people who, who we truly care for. Um, I shared this illustration a few weeks ago, but uh, my wife made this awesome dessert, right, like cupcakes and stuff, and brought it to a party, and then it was in a glass dish, and put it down, and, and then it fell off. Uh, the, the, uh, it was on top of the washing machine, and somehow that started, and then it fell off face down on the ground. So she picked it up and was very sad after all this work, made a great dessert, and when she took the top off, some of the 
container had, had shattered. The glass on the container had shattered. Not a lot, but there were little glass flakes on top of the dessert. All right. Now, do you think she picked them off and served it to the children? Do you think she did that? No. Why? Be because the glass is a harmful substance, right? And you could say, well, what if there was just a little bit? No, no, even a little bit. See, here's the thing. It doesn't matter the amount. It's the nature of the substance that makes it dangerous. Now, imagine you have a friend and you see sin in their life. And you're like, you know, maybe I don't say anything, right? I just let, well, again, you know, it's not the amount. It's the nature of the substance. And, and spiritually, sin is like glass getting into your system, right? No friend who really cares about other people will, will for a long time just let the sin of another friend go um, unchecked. That doesn't mean that you beat them over the head with the Bible or, or think you're holier than thou. It just means that when you see that in another person, it's not loving to be like, oh, well, you know, that's just Tom. He just blows his top and shouts at his wife. Oh, well, that's just him. That's not what friends do. Friends see the sin in other people, and then they move to bring help. So it says here, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, how, how are you doing at that? How are you doing at abhorring it, hating it? Hold fast to what is good. So you're not just a negative Nancy friend. You know, you're just not the friend who's always telling everyone else about their faults. You're actually holding on to what is good. You're holding on to what is good. And the word there for hold fast means to glue, a glued to what is good. The idea there is that you are fixating, you are collecting uh, the good in your own life and in the lives of other people. So when we were up at Silver Birch Ranch, somebody told me a story about how he had eye drops in one pocket and super glue in the other, and he accidentally put super glue in his eyes. One drop, one drop, and he said he blinked, and then he couldn't open his eye again. <laughs> Thankfully, he had a contact on, so the glue went on the contact, but then the glue glued to the eyelid, and then the eyelid wouldn't, so he had to go to the hospital, and they had to like I don't even want to know what they had to do. <laughs> yeah, really sad. He only has one eye now. No, I, I'm just kidding. He's got both eyes. But can you even imagine? Can you even imagine a drop of super glue into the eyeball? Yikes. We're really careful with what we do with glue. Um, and so here's the idea. When it says, hold fast to what is good, the idea is, your eyes are going to be glued to certain things in the lives of other people. And if you constantly are glued to, to the negative, to the bad, you know, this is kind of a warning against a critical spirit, a harboring of grievances, and the people around you are always on trial, and, and you're glued to the bad. You see it, you collect it, you file it away. That's not loving. That's not loving. So even though we abhor what is evil... We, we are not collectors and catalogers of this encyclopedia of other people's sins, right? We're, we're glued actually to the good in our own life, right? We're glued to the good. We're holding on to it, the way we treat other people and the way we evaluate other people. In Philippians 4.8, it tells us what is good. It says, it says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about such things. Man, that'll fire you up when your mind is filled with praiseworthy things about your spouse. When you, 
uh, want to correct your kids carefully, but you also are collecting the ways to praise them, right? And, and at work, yeah, you can talk about your coworkers and how they fall short or cut corners, but you know what? Your eyes aren't glued to that stuff. You're actually finding ways to be an encourager, to be loving. This is what it means to let love be genuine. This is what it means to love with sincere affection. So it says, let love be genuine. How? Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Then it says, love one another with brotherly affection. <clears throat> love one another with brotherly affection. Um, th- these words in the Greek are, are pretty deep and rich, um, but when it, when it says, love one another, there's a brotherly love there, and when it says brotherly affection, there's a few words in there that just really draw out uh, the meaning. The first word there is philostorgos, and that means relative love. And then Philadelphia, you know that word, right? Brotherly love. Both of them are smushed together in this one sentence. So relative love, brotherly love. This is the way it's supposed to be between you and for sure other people in your church, um, but also with those in the world. There should be this brotherly family uh, affection. I remember when my daughter Ellie broke her wrist uh, earlier. She was young and the doctor came in at Payless Hospital and sat down and uh, evaluated and asked all this or... Uh, and uh, then by the end of it, he had known her pet name, he had known her family, her sports team, and, and he left. He had like three minutes to do this, and she's like, wow, he felt like a relative. And I thought, I bet he would love to hear that, right? Like, and, and how often are we around people for a long time, and we still feel like strangers, you know what I mean? I feel convicted about that. Like, sometimes people are at church for a while, and I'm like, I feel like I don't even know them. Um, so, being loving with sincere affection means there's this family-like devotion, right? When I think of family, I think of the program, The Goldbergs. Have you watched The Goldbergs? Because they go back to the 80s. Here's a picture of The Goldbergs, and they have these hilarious 80s family photos. You remember those back in the 80s? We all dressed nerdy and got pictures taken together as a family. Now, I'm not trying to say that you have to look nerdy with all the people around you, but I'm saying when there's a family together, you really know it, and if you have family love for people, friend love for people, you feel it, you know it, you see it. And if you're just kind of holding people at arm's length, they know that too. There's a distance there. Uh, it gets frosty. Here's a picture of a guy who's really cold. And I think that sometimes when, when, when you meet somebody, they make it really clear that they don't want you in their life. They make it really clear that there's like a force field around. They're just frosty. And heaven forbid you should be a frosty person here, right? Like, heaven forbid you should come to church. I'm not talking to no one. If anyone starts that, you know, like, why would that be your heart? That's not going to fire up your faith. So we have to love with sincere affection. How do we do that? Well, it goes on to say here, outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo means to give preference, to show eagerness, to prefer or esteem or lead the other person ahead. And then honor means a higher valuing price. So this, this doesn't mean that you treat the other person like they're better than you in essence, because we're all the same, right? And, and that actually can create a lopsided relationship when you're flattering someone and trying to make them feel like they're something they're not. That's not genuine. So it's not, it's not outdoing someone and trying to make them feel like they're a big shot. What it means here is you treat them like they're appraised value is a lot higher than yourself, right? And maybe you know what it's like when there's someone who thinks they're really a big deal and they really want you to see that they're a big deal and they want you to see the price tag on them and, and to honor them. That's just not love. 
it works better when you look at another person and you're like, wow, God paid his son to save this person. And, and then you put a price tag on them. They're so worthy of your love that you treat them like they're precious in the eyes of God. So that's what it means to outdo one another in showing honor. Basically, it means quick to give honor, quick to show courtesy, quick to recognize the gifts of others, to overlook their faults, to warm the person's heart. The opposite of this would be slow to be courteous, holding praise in check, coating interactions with a layer of frost to subtly but willfully control the temperature of their heart, uh, punish them or prevail them against them or to collect grievances against them. This is not loving, and God will see it, and um, God, God will deal with it. Uh, so God wants love to be genuine. Number one, if you want your faith to be fired up, love with sincere affection. Number two, jot this down, work with fervent devotion. Work for Christ with fervent devotion. It says here in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Slothful here means lagging behind, lazy, troublesome, to shrink back or, or hesitate or to delay something that's required to help other people. And, and when it comes to being lazy, um, we know lazy people, right? We know those people out there. I found some pictures of lazy people. Do you want to see them? Here's a picture of people who are mowing their lawn in a lazy fashion. See that? that that's la Here's another one. This one's even better. This is a lazy lawnmower. Lazy. Here's another one. We got a picture of somebody who's a security guard. And he put a picture up. And he's sleeping. Lazy. I like this next one. Lazy mom made her child a birthday cake. There you go. I actually bet dad was on duty for that one. Here. There's a cake. Let's sing. Blow out the candle and be happy. Laziness is a challenge if we're honest, laziness is a challenge in our heart. Uh, sloth, the Bible describes sloth as a vice, a sin. And um, sloth is described as a thief. If you read through the Proverbs, sloth is a thief, like an armed robber, like a bandit. And uh, if you think about it, sloth, uh, the sedentary life, sitting and doing nothing for other people, but just there, self-absorbed, serving only me, that robs you of better relationships and time with your children and, 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 and life experiences. And think of all the things that laziness steals from our lives. Years can vanish uh, because sloth just gets us into a sleepy position and then takes away all of our opportunity. Um, but if we serve other people, then our faith is fired up. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So there's this zeal toward service. The word zeal means to hurry, to haste. Uh, there's an urgency driving you on. You know what it's like to be in a hurry when the other person in front of you is not in a hurry. Am I right? I gotta get there! And the other person is just, who knows what they're doing. They're looking at all the houses. And you're like, I gotta be somewhere! And, and the idea here is that you're in a hurry to what? To serve. So the idea is when an opportunity comes up to serve someone you love, whether it's a friend or a neighbor or in the church, like a go team opportunity, there's, there's a hurriness, there's a, there's a haste, there's a, you know, oh, are, are we going to feed my starving children? I'm, I'm going to be the first one in line. I'm going to be the one going there to help pack those, you know, meals. 
for the, uh, for the kids. What, what, oh, there's a mission trip coming up? I'm, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to be the one getting there. There's a, there's a zeal, right? There's a hurry. There's a haste. There's a rushing to the front of the line. Uh, so maybe you saw on Facebook, Silver Birch Ranch got hit with a giant storm last week. There was like all these trees down and it knocked power out of the camp. And there were people in our church who instantly sprang into action. They're like, we need to get up there. We need to help. Now, thankfully, SBR had plenty of people up there to serve, but what they didn't have is chainsaws and generators. So there, there are guys in our church who just went to the store, drove up there, uh, you know, five-hour drive just to drop the stuff off and survey the damage and then, and then came back. But look, they didn't need to be talked into that. They just did it. And that's really an example of what this means, to be hurrying and hastening to serve other people. And guess what that reflects? It reflects a fervent spirit. It also creates a fervent spirit when you love other people uh, with zeal. It says here, uh, do not be slothful in zeal, meaning hurrying, hastening. Then it says, be fervent. The word for fervent here means to bring to a boil, to be, to be heated up. Uh, and the idea is that you're on fire. There's, in, there's enthusiasm. It's more than hype. It's a conviction that what you're doing is going to change lives, that when you serve other people, you make God happy. And, and this idea is that I have zeal, I'm in a hurry to do it, and I'm fervent, I'm really joyful in my service of other people, right? You know what it's like when you go to a family party and it's very clear that the host is not happy that everyone's there, right? Oh, so many dishes. I worked all week to get this house ready for this party. Oh, and now I'm going to stay up late cleaning up tonight. <laughs> and you're like, I'm sorry I came. Do you want me to leave? No, I just wish people would help me. There's just not a joy, right? There's just not a zeal. But we also know what it's like when someone loves to have other people around and they, they love to serve other people. Hey, if you want your faith to be on fire, work with fervent devotion. Serve Christ, serve other people, and do it with fervent devotion. It says here, serve the Lord. The idea here is God is the Lord um, and that you are his servant. The word is slave in the Greek. You are a slave of the Lord. You're, you're not just seeing it as an, an option to serve him. You're seeing it as an obligation. Yes, it's a blessing, but it's also an obligation because he is the Lord. And the Lord means that Jesus Christ is the one who holds authority over all that the universe contains. So when you serve the Lord, you see it as a tremendous honor that you're able to do something for him, to do anything for him, that he would use you. Wow, you're really excited about that. And that's what leads to fervent devotion. I'm so glad that we had two teams of people go on mission trips over the last few weeks. Uh, and I'm just glad to be the one to, to kind of talk about and brag on the teams that went there. So our, our first team to Ukraine, to Kiev, uh, I preached in Pastor Alex's church and we installed a deacon and an elder there. And then we hightailed it out of there and went about an hour out of Kiev to a kid's camp. And there were about 40 kids from Alex's church. And then there were about uh, 30 or 40 kids who come from kind of a rougher background. And they have, uh, they maybe are in the foster care system uh, or, or worse, maybe, or maybe they're living with grandma. But, but for whatever reason, the government social services like sponsors these kids to go to the camp for free. And the ages were like six all the way up to 16. So it was really amazing for our team to just pour into these little ones all week long. And our team did such a great job uh, learning about this culture. And at one point, they were even learning how to sing a song. 
um, in Ukraine. So uh, I've got a video here that we're going to show. You can go ahead and show that. Pastor Dave learning Ukrainian. That's easy, flat. How cool is that? All right, now it's your turn. Go ahead and... Uh... <laughs> We've got a picture here, I think, from that kids' camp as well. Uh, the first picture there. There's Pastor Alex on the left and all these kids uh, with, you know, learning the Bible and learning about us. And it was just so amazing to see our team say yes to, to an exhausting trip there and then getting oriented and then, and then settling in. And then we taught them some English. We did some crafts with them. We did some sports. We learned some of their language. And I'm just proud of this team because they said yes to raising the money. They said, yeah, you know, they could have just been at the pool, right? Uh, but, but instead, they said yes to this great adventure that was hard work. And in the end, they came home, came home so exhausted, but so fired up. And look, I'm telling you, if you want your faith to catch fire, work with fervent devotion. Uh, Lauren and I then headed out of, uh, out of Kiev and went to Cluj. And here's a picture of us with Mike and Terry Kiowski. Uh, this is where Mike and Terry live now in Cluj, Romania. And we got to meet up with Pastor Yonika and his team as we're building a partnership with them. Uh, and so that was really cool. And look, Mike and Terry, like Mike should be retired right now on the golf course. You know, he should have sold his optometry business and settled down. And instead, they're living in Eastern Europe, right? Uh, and they're just so happy, right? Don't they look happy? They're fired up because they get to serve people. They're learning the language. They're over there building up the church and, and strengthening church plants. And this is the joy that comes when you work for Christ with fervent devotion, right? Um, Lauren and I then went on to uh, Bucharest. I don't think I have a picture of that. Do I have a picture of Bucharest? I'll have to put one in their next service. But we went to Bucharest because Pastor Mark was going to arrive uh, to Pastor Adi. And in Bucharest, we learned um, that two things. First of all, they have a better fountain than Chicago. I know. They do. It's amazing. Um, but second, on the last night there, when our team had, had went off to their kids' camp, we were going back to the hotel and we said to the driver, hey, uh, what can we do tonight? We fly out tomorrow. And he's like, well, there's a John Bon Jovi concert in town. I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Say that again? <laughs> I didn't get saved until I was a freshman in college, so don't judge me. <laughs> I had all the Bon Jovi cassettes. <laughs> so yes, we did go downtown, and we found this little place to sit, and we saw a Bon Jovi concert. It's like heaven knew we would be there. <laughs> it's really <laughs> awesome. Uh, but then we got home, and, and it's just so awesome to see the joy that comes when people step up and work for Christ with fervent devotion. So, hey, do you want your faith to catch fire? Number one, love with sincere affection. Number two, work with fervent devotion. Number three, worship with joyful expectation. Worship with joyful expectation. Uh, look at verse 11. It says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Then it says here, verse 12, rejoice. 
Rejoice in hope. Rejoice. I like that. Then it says, be patient in tribulation. I don't like that. Then it says, be constant in prayer. So it says, first of all, rejoice. So there's this fervent spirit in the work and in the worship. How are you doing it worshiping with joyful expectation? How are you doing it uh, being fervent in spirit and rejoicing in hope? Is your worship on fire? The idea here is that you come to church with glad anticipation of singing to the Lord. You know, 52 Sundays a year. If you're in town and you're healthy, you're here. You can't wait to worship. There's a, there's a hurry to get there. There's a, there's a haste, right? You're not lagging behind. You're not the last one through the door. You are worshiping with glad anticipation. The word hope can be defined as this, confident Christian expectation of the Lord's return and the glory to follow that produces abiding joy. Wow, abiding joy. It is a call to joy. It is a call to praise. We are invited here to delight our souls in the Lord. Sometimes you don't feel it, right? That's why in the Psalms, sometimes David's yelling at his own soul, awake my heart, <laughs> wake up in there. And sometimes you got to preach the gospel to yourself to get yourself revved up. But when you do that, there will be a joy. Um, there's uh, somebody took uh, Disney um, movie covers and inserted the grumpy cat into them to show what it would be like if there was grumpy cat in the movie. So check that out. There's grumpy cat Ariel. And here's the next one. There's grumpy cat Lion King. And here's the next one. Here's grumpy cat Aladdin. Just, and, and here's what's funny is when you come to church, don't be the grumpy cat. All right, don't be the grumpy cat. Don't be, you know, all the people around you are singing and lifting their hands and worshiping, and you're just grumpy cat. You're just grumpy cat. So imagine when you show up to church, your starting point is grumpy cat. And then tell yourself, time to level up. I'm going to move up from grumpy cat. I'm not going to be the grumpy cat in the church. I'm going to actually bring my whole heart to the Lord. Worship with joyful expectation. I like what um, one commentator says. He says, we are chosen for joy. However hard the Christian way, it is both in the traveling and in the goal, the way of joy. A gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. Listen, a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. Isn't that convicting? <clears throat> How are you doing it? Shining with delight in defiance of any earthly darkness because God is with you. In 2 Timothy 4.8 it says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The idea there is you can't wait for Jesus to come back. Right? This world is not your home. This world is not your heaven. Jesus is coming back. And you're really excited to sing to him. You're really excited to think about him. Uh, I was... Uh, Yesterday, reflecting on how it's so easy to just not invite Jesus to different places in our lives. You know, he can come with me to church, but certainly not to work and definitely not on vacation. You know, he's just crowded out. We should be inviting Jesus into the very center place of our life so that he can set us on fire. This is what we're going for every Sunday. We want people to come and show up. And look, here's what's unique about this church. We expect a lot of God's people. We want you to throw your whole soul into it. We're here to actually interact with the living God. We want to love Him. And here's what's even cooler. We have a lot of expectations on God's Sunday morning. We want Him to come down. We want Him to encounter us. We want Him to speak to us. 
it's, it's an encounter that we're after on Sunday morning. Sometimes when you go to a church, you feel like the singing is just so routine and rote. It's almost like, like you're reciting the periodic table, right? And these things are true, they're true, but, but we're actually trying to use that truth to split atoms, right? We're trying to use what we know about God to have an, an experience with Him. That's what we're going for on Sunday morning. Worship with joyful expectation. Don't come to church just to check a box, right? Come to church to encounter God. Number one, love with sincere affection. Number two, work with fervent devotion. Number three, worship with joyful expectation. And then number four, walk with prayerful endurance. Walk with prayerful endurance. Just when the Bible says, be joyful in hope, it's honest. It goes on to say this. It says, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And I like how it leaves one last charge to love at the end, contribute to the needs of the saints. So there's a charity there. Seek to show hospitality so your home is open. That actually should have been grouped with point one, but it's like he saves that for the end. Like after, after all of that and even some tribulation, keep loving, right? Don't, don't lose the love. It's like a love sandwich here. I'm going to talk to you about love at the beginning and at the end. But he talks here about being patient in tribulation, patient in tribulation. So we're supposed to walk with prayerful endurance through tribulation. That means tribulation is going to come, and the word for tribulation means anguish, affliction, trouble, pressure, everything you don't want in life. Here's, here's a picture of um, a stormy sky, and you might ask yourself, why on earth would God take me in that direction, right? I only want sunshine and rainbows, but he will lead you through tribulation. And here's the next picture of what your life sometimes will feel like. You just feel like disaster, underwater, sinking, right? Here, here's the next picture of you might just feel like there's an all-out eruption. And um, look, if you're there, if you're there, you can still be on fire for the Lord. In fact, some of the most fervent people in our church got to their highest level of spiritual love for the Lord during the darkest days. It's like they just suddenly were like spiritual bonfires. They were so excited about God, and yet they were like crushed in life. You can do that too. You can walk with prayerful endurance through the fire. But it says here, be patient in tribulation. And that means that you have to remain under it. You have to endure it. You'll endure it triumphantly, but you have to endure it because God's not going to stop it according to your timetable. This tells us about how we can be on fire for the Lord even when we face trials, even when we're in the valley, even when it's dark and we feel lonely and squeezed and confused. And maybe you're there. Maybe you're there. And look, if you're there, are you allowing this period in your life to deepen your love for the Lord? Are you allowing this period in your life to deepen your love for the Lord? Are you? Or, or to drive you away from the Lord? Because you could catch fire right now like never before. All of these things we already talked about, loving, working, worshiping, these things can go to the roof if, if you will allow God to take you through hard seasons. But if you protest, you say, until God gets his trial out of my life, he's getting no love and no service and no worship from me. If you just cross your arms and refuse to go through a trial, then your fire is going to go out. But if you say, all right, Lord, bring it on, you and me, we can get through anything together, God will amaze you. 
And then it says here, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And I just wonder, how are you doing at talking to God? How are you doing at talking to God about your trials? Um, when you're not praying, it's like you're holding your breath, right? <gasps> this is you're not praying. How long can you do this? And you're going to pass out, right? Talk to God. Talk to God about your pain, about your fear, about your confusion, about your trials. You don't need magic words to talk to God. You just get down on your knees or get out a prayer journal. I'm talking to God about a lot of things I don't understand or agree with in my life right now. I'm talking about Him. I'm talking to God about a lot of different things that I can't sort through or figure out or control or predict. A lot of things. That's what prayer is for. Prayer isn't just for food, right? Prayer isn't just a thank you for the good days. Prayer is a way to actually march through the darkest days. Hey, do you want your faith to catch fire? Number one, love with sincere affection. Number two, work with fervent devotion. Number three, worship with joyful expectation. And number four, walk with prayerful endurance. Most of the time in life, it's bad to play with fire. Am I right? When I was a kid, I went down to the prairie, down the street, set the prairie on fire. Ran home, dad had to go put it out, got in big trouble. Never set a prairie on fire again, because that's a no-no. But here, the Bible is actually inviting you to, to start a fire in the church. Spiritually. Permission to be a spiritual pyro, granted. Granted. You, you can play with all the spiritual flammables you want. You can light up on fire for the Lord. You can light other people up on fire for the Lord. I'm never going to be like, hey, 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 calm down a little about this Jesus thing, okay? All right, don't make me get a bucket of water here. We're allowed, we're invited to catch fire, to ignite, and then to set other people ablaze around us. Are you there? If you're not there... Take these points to the Lord in prayer this week, and trust me, the Lord Jesus will light your fire again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Jesus, we know that if you wanted to, just like you did on the mountain of transfiguration, you could show up right now, stand in front of us, and shine brighter than the sun. And that spectacle would be unforgettable, but you give us more than that. You, Lord Jesus, are inside of us, and we are your temple. And so we pray, Lord, that whatever season of life we're going through right now, that you would just set us ablaze, that you would really help us to just ignite with passion, with fervent devotion to you. Help nothing to put our fire out. Give us great times in your word. Help us to, to step up, to work and serve other people and to stay in community. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk through the fire, through any valley, because we know that you are with us. Help us, Lord, to ignite with passion and love for you. And we pray that you would help us with this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and let's sing one more song together.